It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Okay, we're going to start the show off a little weird today. Well, that's always a good way to start. (laughs) I want to give a few disclaimers. If you hear any drilling or loud sounds in the background, it's funny. Um, we've had trouble with our air conditioner here in the office building for the last two weeks. Two, so, come on, it's been more than that. Okay, well, I kind—I finally called the owner of the building, which is a prominent attorney in the community that I'm friends with, and you know, let him know because I'm the—I'm that aw shucks guy that really doesn't like to make a lot of noise until I kind of get fed up with something. So I let him know. So I think we're kind of getting our payback today. I think they're just drilling in the concrete for the sake of drilling in the concrete to make sure that today's not completely productive. Well, and let's go ahead and be honest. And this is letting you guys kind of see behind the scenes. It got so bad one day that Brian literally showed up in shorts, flip-flops, and a T-shirt because we knew. And it wasn't a Friday. No, it was not a Friday. It was like a Wednesday <laughs> because we knew by like 2 o'clock in the afternoon it was going to be 85 degrees in our office. We actually have box fans running while we're going through all these uh, AC issues. No, people. We're actually in a very beautiful bank building. <laughs> I don't want everybody to think that we've got some 2x4s leaned up and that's what our computers are on. But um, this is the Money Guy Show. If you can't figure it out, you know, Warren Buffett in his annual report talks about how low his overhead is we as you can tell we're trying to just benchmark the big guy when we when we run our our overhead cost over here by day we're fiona financial advisors with three offices well preston and cleveland has offices in nashville tennessee mcdonough georgia where we're located out of as well as augusta georgia and today guys today i got kind of excited about this one because this is not what we were planning on doing the show when i talked to bo yesterday we had a completely different show idea. I'm not going to tell you what it was because we're probably going to bring it out in an upcoming episode. But then I've had some things happen. One of them was, is well, we, I had a neighbor that it was probably two weeks ago we were doing swim lessons for the little ones. He has a, a three-year-old daughter about the same age as my three-year-old, hence the, the three years old. <laughs> oh, um, his three-year-old is the same age as your three-year-old? Be quiet. That's crazy. Uh, you know what I mean. Well, anyway... <laughs> Um, I'm only on four hours of sleep, by the way, because the power went out at like one o'clock and silence is hard to sleep in, obviously, in my household. But um, getting back on track, I had a neighbor who started asking me some financial questions. And what we found out was is that this guy, he's a pretty young guy. He had about all of his life savings going into a life insurance policy. And, and there's nothing wrong with life insurance. Matter of fact, in a minute, you go hear me give some plugs on life insurance. But you shouldn't have all your money going into life insurance when you're still trying to fund some of your primary financial goals. So that led me to invite him to lunch. So we took him out for lunch this week. Just incredible, good experience. I could tell we really touched him. And then today at CrossFit, that's right, I'm still doing it six months in, still going to this thing at some absurdly early hour. And um, one of the guys, that he's actually the fastest guy in the class. He's always done before everybody else. He beat me by about nine minutes on today's time <laughs> on getting the things done. Um, he ran the last three laps with me so he could ask me financial questions. That's and, that, awesome. and that kind of what made, made me realize there's a lot of things I think we take for granted that I want to make sure we get out there to, to the community, especially I want to give you some meat. This is going to be one of those shows where you go, I cannot believe. Matter of fact, even after I went over the show with you, Bo, you said, didn't we have a discussion where we weren't going to do that show anymore because we're giving away too much? And I was like, oh, we're not going to worry about that. Let's just <laughs> give it away. And so today's show is kind of the 30-ish. It used to be the 30-minute financial plan, but I think I've got too many other things in here. It's probably going to go over 30 minutes. But it's the 30-ish financial plan um, just because I'm going to just run through very rapid-fire format on what things you ought to be thinking about for your personal finances. And and the reason I think that that I love sharing so much, that I'm willing to go above and beyond and, and basically give it away, is because I don't know if I've shared with you guys, I come from a long line of educators. You know, and that's what I did in college. I was a substitute teacher. Um, I enjoy going to the University of Georgia and talking to to the senior classes. I really do have that heart of an educator that you hear people talk about. There's something just magical about watching someone's eyes when they catch a concept. And that's why I think I enjoyed about watching that neighbor this week and also talking to the guy at CrossFit this morning. It's just, it's like almost being a gardener planting a seed, 
seeing it sprout. And then even what's even greater is when you have six months, a year go by and it starts bearing fruit. Some of those decisions they've made really start working out for them. So that's why I decided to continue to move forward with this type of topic where we just go give it away because this also takes me back. I started this show in 2006. The attaboys that I received from listeners who were just telling me, hey, you really touched me. You, you, you changed my life in this way. That's what kept the show going for the first three years. I didn't realize this was a brilliant marketing plan until really year three and four. The first three years was I felt guilty for having a high asset minimum. So I, I, instead of sending people out to the, to the sharks and wolves, I figured, hey, we'll, we'll just give them some free advice. And your attaboys really kept the show going. And, and this type of show is really good for everyone. If you're the type of person who's brand new to personal finance, this is going to be a treat because we're about to feed you through a gar- uh, really through a fire hose, not a garden hose. It's going to be bigger than that. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fire hose and it's all going to be for free. So, so enjoy that. And I think that's why it, it's really a great service. The second thing is if you're a money master, maybe you've already gotten that point in your life where you feel like you've made a lot of good decisions. And, and that's a lot of our podcast listeners. I'm always amazed at how just high up the food chain we, we touch with this show. This is still a great show for you because you're going to be able to sit back. Listen to us talk about these concepts, kind of tick them off in your head. I've got that. I'm doing that. You know, that's something I've already accomplished. And and there's something, a a peace of mind that comes from knowing that you're making the right decisions with your personal finances. And then you're going to be able to hopefully, if you like the show, share it with your friends and family, especially if you have children. Maybe you have adult children. um, And hopefully because you're a podcast listener, you you know, your kids are, are financially independent and living out on their own. Um, you can pass this on to them and, and let them learn from it. Um, and truthfully, there's a good chance you're probably the most financially responsible person in your circle of influence um, because, hey, you're listening to a financial podcast. So use that as a resource to try to help some additional people. So before I hit the ground running, let me give you the, the website. This is The Money Guy Show at money-guy.com. You can actually write the show if you'd like to at Brian, that's B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com or Bo. I haven't even given you a chance to talk yet, Bo. I'm going to come up for air here in a minute, but Bo at B-O at money-guy.com. And I want to tell you guys the other thing, you know, that y'all always been great about. And if this show touches you, one of the best things you can do is give us some positive comments on both iTunes and Stitcher because those are the way that we're, that's the way we're discovered by the majority of the people. You can also go check out the new concept we've done in the last three to four weeks is Twitter. We are now on Twitter. Bo, you probably know the title. Yeah, you should, if you go follow us at Money Guy Podcast, we try to blast out some either good thoughts, good articles. Uh, sometimes we put some funny pictures, some great quotes. It just gives you guys a way to stay in touch with us more fre- frequently than the every two-week podcast episode. So follow us on Twitter. Give us a shout-out. We try to stay very proactive, uh, touching base with all of our followers out there. So let's hit the ground running. The first thing, and Bo, you practically could probably do this because you've heard me talk to friends, family, because we do this a lot. We realize that this is one of the best things we can do for, for people we meet in the community is kind of just load them up. Even when people call in, we try to help them out, even if they're not a good fit for us. But estate planning, that's the first thing I want to cover. That's one to protect you from that. You know, you always hear people give examples. There's even a TV show now called like the thousand and one or 101 ways to die. Um, this, is, this is the estate planning stuff is to protect you from the falling piano or that bus that you always hear people. Right being scared of getting hit by on a Tuesday afternoon. Um, what do you think the first thing I'm going to tell you is? Uh, uh, I think the first thing you're going to say is if you have young children, there's a must, something you have to do. It's wills. You nailed it. I mean, I'm going to tell people if you have children at all, especially children that are minors, um, you've got to have wills because, you know, if something happens, you want to make sure that your desire, your thoughts of what, who should take care of those kids, how those kids are going to be taken care of financially, that those ideas are well represented. And I'm always amazed that um, husband and wives who are so good at talking about everything, they usually have a lot of trouble with that one, especially if they have different opinions on who ought to be the person that raises those kids and if something happens. That's actually the number one reason why we see uh, spouses put off their estate planning mm-hmm. is because they can't come to an agreement on the children, so they just push everything off as well. Which is not, you don't want the, if you can't figure it out, how do you think the court system's going to figure it out? That's so, exactly right. so make sure you do the wills. Moving on, life insurance. Life insurance, guys, 
you know, I, I think a lot of you know I'm a fee-only advisor, so you probably think, hey, those fee-only guys, they don't like insurance at all. That's not the case whatsoever. I'm actually a big fan of insurance. Bo knows that um, if something ever happens to me, my wife will be depressed for probably two months, and then she'll go realize she's rich because of all the life insurance that I have. So her, her frown will be turned upside down, um, as I like to say. And that gives me – I know that's kind of a morbid thing to say, but it is somewhat – it makes me feel good. It allows you to put your head that, down on your That I know my family is taking care of if something happens to me. I always recommend you do 10 times your earning um, power, you know, what you make in annual income. Uh, I also recommend – now, there are, there are some things – if you have a, a lot of debt – or you have a lot of obligations that kind of skew that 10 times revenue. Because what you want that 10 times your income number to cover is to pay off all the debts and still hopefully leave enough money behind that your spouse will have a little bit of money to help them get back on their feet and then also have a little bit more money set aside for college savings and other goal-setting ideas that you would like to see fulfilled even though you're not here. Because what does insurance do? It replaces income. I like term insurance. What I always tell people in the advice we gave earlier this week, if you've got a three-year-old child, but maybe you've got another one on the way, you might need 20 to 25-year term insurance because you're trying to get the kids out of the house. You're hoping that you set that term to a point where you're going to have the kids out of the house, their education goals fulfilled, and you're hopefully at the point that you're financially independent. Um, and that, because that's what insurance is. It replaces your income. And you're hopeful that in 20, 25 years, you're truly financially independent. So you don't need that coverage and protection anymore. So that, that's where life insurance, a good resource I always tell people, and he is a friend of the show as well as a client. Um, and I like this because I used to recommend a big website, but they started requiring you to give them an email address and all this personal information. I don't like that because sometimes you just want to go shop an insurance right. rate out and just keep people honest and also just to know if you're getting a good deal as well as what it would cost to have good coverage. And I always recommend you can go to michaelgassesagency.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-S-S-E-S agency.com. Mike, he's a friend of ours. He has a link on it that says get a quote. You can go run term rates. It's but pretty the cool incredible. thing is it doesn't require any personal information for you, so you don't have to worry about anyone reaching out to you, calling you, following up. It's really just a resource for you guys to use free and clear. Yeah, and the only thing I get out of it when y'all reach out to Mike is I might get a free meal. But I don't <laughs> want y'all to think we get all this money coming in. There's no financial connection like that. It really is. But um, he has a good resource. Disability insurance. This is a big one. We've um, had this question come up with a lot of our clients and podcast listeners, um, who are, are especially in the medical field, but it doesn't have to be just professionals in the medical field. It's really anybody who's out there working. Um, you want to make sure you have some disability insurance. There's actually a much higher probability that you're going to become disabled than there is that you're going to die. Um, and, and it's the same, the same reason you buy life insurance, same reason you buy disability insurance. You want to replace the income that your family needs. I think the, I think I read an article the other day that said that, uh, one in four people will suffer a disability of longer than one year from a, you know, from age 20 to age 67. I mean, like that's the, what the statistic is. 25% of people are going to have at least a one-year disability. That makes me scared to leave the house. It does. It really does. I and mean, a, a risk, risk-fearing person like me, maybe you shouldn't give me stats like that. <laughs> and, and then the second, well, the good thing for you is you're halfway to 67 from the 20 mark, so you're great. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's good to be old. <laughs> and then the, the other statistic was, uh, I think disability insurance is actually the most under-insured um, risk out there in the financial world. More people have life insurance and disability, health insurance, you know, fill in the blank. Disability is one of the most, the, one of the most likely underinsured, uh, risks. So it's something very, very important. Some good guidelines for you. I, I usually like to tell people, and they usually won't insure you past this point, is 60% of your income. And the reason you can feel good about 60% versus 100% is that, and this is the biggest planning tip I can give you on this, make sure you pay your premiums with after tax dollars. So even if your employer offers you long-term insurance, so you know long-term disability insurance, make sure it's not taken out pre-tax. Because if you pay it with after-tax dollars, meaning that you've already paid your income taxes on it, if you do become disabled, every bit of that disability payment will be tax-free. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if it's tax-free, that's why 60% goes a long way towards your disability. 
Um, so make sure you do the after tax. I also want to talk about two things that people get really confused about. You hear things called terms like own oc, you know, and what that is is talking about your owner, you know, the owner's occupation. Um, a lot of people, and then you have complete you know, the policies that don't have the owner occupation will have our own occupation will have, you know, they're basically catastrophic policies, meaning that if you become totally disabled, that's when they'll pay. I think the term is ENIOC on those policies, right? Well, yeah, you, you're the guy that did the insurance <laughs> internship, you know. So we'll, we'll defer to you on that. But I will tell you that um, I kind of do a mix. I think it's good what, I, what I've done with my own personal disability policies. I have a smaller policy that is very specific to my career. That way, um, you know, if I do become disabled, uh, you know, I can still go teach, work at a college, do something, but still have some income coming, additional income in addition to what I'm earning coming in. But I probably won't get those catastrophic policies because I, I might be able to go do something else. Right. And then I've got the catastrophic so that if I truly can't do anything, you know, I, I'm, I'm not able to go do, you know, teach, go work in another, even become a greeter at Walmart. Um, I'll get ever all the payments, all the policies should pay out at that point. And so I, I would just want to give you those two terms so that when you talk to the insurance agent, you'll kind of understand. And there's, there's other things like waiting periods. Um, I typically like, and you can probably look at because we're going to roll right into emergency reserves. If you have three to six months worth of emergency reserves, you can kind of tie your waiting period to your emergency reserves period. And a lot of your employer plans will also cover you in a short-term period. So kind of coordinate all those things to figure out how much of a waiting period before the benefits kick in. And what I mean by waiting period is when you become disabled, how long do you have to wait before the policy kicks in to start paying you benefits? Um, emergency reserves. It's a must. You've got to have emergency reserves. You know, and this is one of those things where I have evolved over the years. I used to be one of those guys that had so much equity in my house. It's like, who needs cash? Cash? Nah, you don't hey, need cash. Equity in the house? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> What's that these days? It's like, it's almost extinct. <laughs> um, but I, I did. I had a lot of equity in the house. and So I had one of those credit lines that they give you for free. And I had a checkbook. So I was like, you know, I've got so much access to, to equity I don't need to keep cash because if anything comes, I've got it covered. Well, you know, we find out there is something to be said about having cash in the bank. And that's why I've matured enough in that aspect to pass it on to you guys. So even though, you know, interest rates are so horrible right now, it still makes sense to have the cash. And they're not going to be horrible forever. I mean, we've seen that in the past two weeks. I think we have a while before short-term rates do come back, but they will come back. We will see days again. Where you can make two, three percent on your cash holdings. It's going to happen. Now, when I talk about emergency reserves, I talk about three to six months of living expenses, meaning cash flow. A lot of people get confused and think I'm talking about three to six months of your income. Not necessarily. If you're, I mean, we talk to people all the time who make great incomes, but are complete tightwads. <laughs> I mean, so if you can live off of forty thousand dollars a year, you know, you might only need twenty five thousand dollars. Even though you might make a hundred thousand dollars worth of income, I mean there, there are people who can make that work. And also, people always say, "Okay, you say three to six months. What is it? Am I three? Am I six? So I want to give you guys some guidance because you always hear people talking those ranges, and you're like, "Well, who's going to tell me which range I fall in?" Here's here's the, sh- the short answer for you. If you lost your job, could you go get a job quickly? Or is it going to take you a while to get your job? Because maybe you're in a specialized. I always thought I was as a CPA. I could go get a job lightning quick. I mean, it, it just is. I mean, I, that's what when I started the company, I was able to go work for a friend's CPA firm, reviewing tax returns, doing some tax prep. There's always needs for for nerdy people like me that can count and, and put some beans in, in different pots. So um, I, I would say I'm more of a three-month type person, three or four-month. My risk aversion pushes me higher than three months, but I could get away with a three-month cash reserves. Somebody, it's going to take you a while to get a job, maybe a very specialized career. You know, you saw this with a lot of technology people when, when we hit the, the technology burst and the bubble burst back in 2000 to 2002. You, you probably need a little bit bigger bucket of money to live off of. Six months might be a better thing for you. If you think it's going to take longer than six months to get a job, maybe you need nine months. Right. Remember, you base it off of your personal situation. Also, tell people, make sure your money's doing something for you. I'm always amazed when I have a, a prospect come to me and I ask about emergency reserves and they say, oh yeah, we got emergency reserves. I say, well, how much you got? 
we got three hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, whoa, that's some that's some emergency. <laughs> so I'm reserves. like, okay, well, wh- what are you doing with that three hundred thousand dollars? It's in our it's in our our, our big <laughs> it's in our checking account at the big brick and mortar. And I'm like, well, what is it earning? I don't even know if it's earning anything. I, don't you know that person is the bank's best friend? <laughs> they love them. I mean, every day they're like, holy cow, we got us one here. I'm telling you, you can make a little bit of money. Um, I'm still kind of excited that my bank that I use, the internet bank that I use, is the best paying internet bank currently. It's fmbodirect.com. Um, that's the first national bank of Omaha, if you want to know who that is, because I've gone and, and pulled their FDIC um, insurance. I've been using them probably four years. I think so, yeah. Um, never had any trouble with them. The, the only downside I ever tell people, because, Bo, you use, which one do you I use? I use Dollar Savings Direct. It's a branch of Immigrant. Yeah, so so FMBO is 0.85% currently. What's 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 I'm yours? 0.55 or 0.65. It's so, right in so there. It seems like the range right now is 0.65 to 0.85. I always tell people that the only downside with mine is that it takes probably three to five days for transfers back and forth to your checking account. Because that's the other great thing about these internet banks. You don't have to close your relationship with your big bank. You just go set up these new banks. They work through the ACH, meaning that routing number that's on your checkbook, and they electronically transfer money to and from. So whenever I want to transfer money to my savings account, it usually takes three to five days. And when I want to transfer money from my FMBO direct account back to my big bank, usually takes three to five days. So if I had an emergency, I guess I could pay a wire transfer fee, but I'm such a tightwad, I'm not going to do it. So right. I always just try to give myself that three to five days to, to transfer the money around. But make your money earn you something. Number three. This is, Bo, I buzzed you and I said, I don't really have much to say about this one. And then after I looked at my notes, after I tight wrote all this up by hand, I was like, Holy cow. I said a lot about this. <laughs> Debt management. And the reason I, I think I originally told Bo we didn't have much to say about this is, if you want to know the truth, because like Dave Ramsey, I enjoy listening to Dave Ramsey, but I'll be honest, I always defer to his thoughts on debt management because he deals with debt a lot more than we do. And here's, and this is where it goes a little beyond common sense. What I've realized is the reason I don't deal with it is because our clients are successful people. And most of your successful people don't have debt issues. So I tell yourself, if you're, if you're one of these people listening to the show and you, your desire is to be a successful financial person and you're struggling with debt issues, get it under check. Because I can tell you, if I had to stereotype the average financially independent person, it's, it's, it's that whole good golf swing that I always talk about. They just don't struggle with debt issues. They're kind of naturally tight wads. So you don't see a lot of debt struggling where they've got $50,000 on their credit card. You know, they've loaded up all these consumer loans. Right. Um, so if you're having trouble with that, get it under check as fast as possible so you can start, you know, emulating that behavior of who you're trying to become. So here's where I wrote down. Prepare a detail of all your debt. I think this is kind of ground zero to know where you stand with it, with everything is you need to prepare a detail of all your debt with your outstanding principal. And that's important. I'm going to tell you why in a minute, because there's a lot of people who are not good with money that get confused about something else they should be focused on versus the outstanding principal. Um, your interest rate, what you're paying on the interest rate and your minimum payment amount. So if you can put together that detail you can start shaping a plan for how you're going to get all this debt under control. And even though it, it, when you see things in front of you and on paper, it's no different than our whiteboard that we have in the office. It does something subconsciously to you that you start focusing on it and have a more successful relationship with trying to resolve and figure a plan out. Um, I, I guess where I, I do differ um, from the big dog, Dave Ramsey, is that um, – I think there's nothing wrong with being strategic with your debt plan. Um, what I mean by that is I know Dave has a snowball effect, and then he also has the, the things that you should do. Well, his is sort of an all or nothing, right? Right, and, and I think, and I want to give Dave, because I don't think he's wrong. It's just that his audience is huge, mm-hmm. huge. I mean, if you could see how many millions of people Dave Ramsey's audience is, he has to craft his presentation to that large, large net. We have a much more specialized listener base. And I think most of you listeners are probably more like our clients. We've seen it just by the podcast clients we picked up. And the fact that you kind of get this concept, and that's why I can tell you to go beyond the common sense and think more strategic about your debt plan. And what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. My wife was in an accident, and our paid-for car 
unfortunately, it was totaled out a lot sooner than I wanted it to be totaled. So we were thrown into a circumstance where we had to go buy a replacement car for my wife. Um, when we bought my wife the new car, Honda Finance offered us 0.9% on the car loan. 0.9%. That's free. I mean, that's the probably the cheapest credit you'll uh, some of the cheapest credit you'll ever see so in your whole life. So I, I will tell you, I still currently have it's less than ten thousand dollars now. But I the only debt I have, you know, besides a mortgage, is I do have a little below ten thousand dollars on a Honda loan for 0.9 percent. And I'm not in a huge hurry. I am. A, I will tell you now that it's getting low. There's a part of me that just wants to pay it off, but I have not felt that desire when it was, say, 15000 20000 because there was other things I could use the money to make sure I was funding, you know, and I'll get into some of those other goals. But there's nothing wrong with being strategic because a lot of people – I had an attorney that she was – her income was on very much – young attorney, very good upward income potential, huge Dave Ramsey fan. And um, I told her, you got to get take advantage of that free match from your employer. And she's like, I can't. It's not, it's not in the plan. And I was like, you have to understand, when he does that presentation, it's not for an attorney who's probably going to break six figures in the next three years. I mean, this is, th- that plan is designed for somebody who's probably going to make this level of income for the next mm-hmm. 15 to 20 years. You are very much upwardly mobile, and you're probably not even going to qualify for a Roth IRA in the next five years. So you need to think about the company match, and you need to think about Roth IRAs while you still qualify for these things. And I tried to explain that, and that's why I tell you there's nothing wrong with being strategic with your debt management plan. Um, I also said, you know, put down in my notes, think about the tax planning side of things. You know, if you have student loans, student loans are deductible while your income's below a certain point. Um, you know, it's the same thing when you're looking at, are there some benefits that make that interest rate a little bit more digestible? If you can think about those things, it helps you figure out that debt debt plan. Um, best policy on debt management and, and is to avoid the big mistakes. Now, what do I mean by the big mistakes with your debt management? Buying more house than necessary. Mm-hmm. If you go and ask a mortgage broker, how much money do I qualify for? How big of a house can I buy? <laughs> it's a dangerous first question. To I ask. mean, they, there is no telling how big of a house they will tell you you can afford. Um, it, it's just that I don't even think that's changed. It's changed a little bit since the financial crisis, but still, I think they always push that number higher than than I would feel comfortable with. Um, I, I, this is one that has hit me recently, and I just could not get past why I couldn't get get this person to think about this differently. And this is why I think Dave is so successful at what he does is because he is able to put people into a mindset of understanding how debt is not always good for you. Is that um, I had a, a friend that was going through some some difficult times, and he was trying to figure out some strategic ways to to move some assets around. And one of the things I could, had the hardest time getting him to understand is he was thinking about his monthly cash flow payments right. versus the outstanding principal. And what I mean by that is that he had a house, a second house that was underwater, and he had the opportunity to basically get out of it for what he had in it, which is not a bad thing when you're struggling to make ends meet. But he didn't want to do it because he had a renter in this house, and he was cash flow-wise making money. Right. And what I was trying to explain to him is that this house on paper right now is $100,000 underwater. You have the potential because of some good luck to break even to get away from that $100,000 of negative equity if you just move forward with this decision. He wouldn't do it because he liked that he had the rent coming in that was covering the mortgage. That's a disaster. If you can walk away, I mean, what would you rather do? Increase your net worth statement by $100,000 by getting rid of the negative equity or just have a, a few extra $100 a month because right. the renter is paying. That's thinking about the cash flow, the income statement. In accounting terms, we always say that's thinking about the income statement before you think about the net worth statement or the balance sheet. And I think a and, lot of young people do the same thing when they go out and make purchases. They think, if I can make the monthly payment, then I can afford it. So, so long as they can make all the monthly payments, they don't think about this huge balloon of debt they have sitting behind them that almost becomes insurmountable once you, you've reached your maximum on monthly debt affordability. Well, think about cars. 
I'm always amazed. I have somebody come up to me and say, you know, and I'd say, Oh, I see you got a new car. Oh yeah. I got a great deal. I'm like, seriously, how, what type of deal did you get? Well, I gave them my car. My payments went from 550 a month to 400. I'm like, Oh, well, um, how much did you owe on the old car? And how much do you owe on the new? Oh, I don't know. And you just know that they totally probably traded in a car that, that was almost paid for. Right. And now they've restarted the cycle all over again, where now they probably owe $30,000 on a car that will depreciate significantly over the next two years. So think about the balance sheet and the net worth statement sometimes more than the income statement and that cash flow. That's People have a hard time understanding that. And that's I think that's the part when I talked about the the, the people who are good with money don't run into those issues. Um, also, a saying that you hear me say all the time is toys beget more toys. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a beach condo. Disaster. <laughs> I only own 20% of this beach condo. Disaster. I mean, I should have never, never, never bought this beach condo. I thought it was going to be the greatest thing ever. I bought this thing back in the mid-2000s. I was going to get rental income, going to make a fortune off of appreciation. Now, that thing's a big money suck. I don't even get to take the losses on my income tax return because of limitations on that. It just sucks money is all it does. And my wife doesn't want us to sell it because she likes going in the fall. But what <laughs> she doesn't understand, she, there she is thinking about the that enjoyment, whereas I'm thinking about this thing is a big money suck right. that we could go do a great vacation with the money I pay on that every year. Um, the other thing is, you know, nice cars. We've talked about this, Bo. Nice cars, and there's nothing wrong with having a nice car. I just want you to know when you buy stuff, it does cost you more money because mm-hmm. you usually have to put premium fuel in. You you're have higher insurance costs. The cost your, of the tires. Your repairs and tires are usually higher. Um, and, and then another thing, I had a, a we have a podcast client who down in Florida, and he, he said something. I've, I've known this, and I've thought it, but he said it so well. He was talking about because he's considering upgrading his house, mm-hmm. and he has a partner that lives in a seven-figure home, and he currently lives in a very modest, you know, right. home. But they're looking to upgrade to a degree. But he's, they were comparing, like, what does it cost to get your grass cut? What does it cost to get the pool clean? Right. And what's funny, and I've realized this about my neighborhoods, too, is I've gone through, I'm on my second home. Right. Um, the nicer home I live in now, it's much more expensive to get the grass cut, even though I own just as much land in my old neighborhood. <laughs> not because not because the grass is any harder to cut. It's not. It's, I think it's because there's gates around my second neighborhood. There's not gates, so they see me a mile away, and it's that way with everything. I mean, so realize that it's better to operate in what I call stealth mode. Mm-hmm. It's funny, and I, I tell y'all way too much. My wife just got back from Canyon Ranch. She went out there and did a spa week, so I've been taking care of the kids and stuff. But the girl that she went with, um, they came back, and she goes, I'd like to do that again. We, could you go? And Jennifer was like, yeah, I think we could because it was given to her in a way. And, and then she goes, you sure y'all can afford that or whatever? And I was Jennifer was kind of offended. I was actually flattered because I thought <laughs> it was you've done great. It right. <laughs> this means my neighbor thinks we're broke, which is a good thing. Flying in stealth mode is awesome because there are so many people that I, I think fake success. It's nice when people think you're going broke when you're not going broke. I mean, it, it, so it was funny how my wife was offended and um, I actually was flattered. Um, Let's talk on, because we're, we're running long on time, and I, I did want to keep this 30-ish. Let's talk about just building financial independence, because this is a big one. And, Bo, I'm looking for you to kind of keep me between the, the lines okay. on this one and keep us on the road, is make sure the first thing we tell people, and I've already mentioned this once, take that free money from your employer. Have to. We do 401k and 403b management, and I'm always amazed at how many people do not take that free money. I mean, and I always give the analogy, and you know where I'm going to go, Bo, is I always say, if I left this room, set up a table right by the exit, had a bag full of money with everybody's name on it, and I said, on your way out the door, pick up this bag full of money, and it's yours. Not a one of you would leave this room without picking up that bag full of money. But yet, I tell you about this retirement plan where we're going to give you 4 to 6% of your annual income for free just for participating, and I'm always amazed at the percentage that don't participate. It's the exact same thing as walking away from that bag full of money. I also tell people kind of in, in, Bo, walk me through, because 
what's the order of operation? Because people ask us this question all the time. Yeah, so we think, in our mind, it's pretty simple. What we always say is, okay, first you hit your emergency reserves. That's kind of the first thing. you got to have your cash, um, you know, at least a little point. Whether it's your six months or whether it's your $1,000 Dave Ramsey, you got to do that first. After that, you absolutely want to 100% go get all of the employer match that you can get because that is just free money. Once you've maxed that out, we think, depending on your situation, if you're younger and if you're eligible, then you bounce over to the Roth IRA. If you're under the age of 50, you can do $5,500 in 2013 into the Roth. So suppose you get your match, you do that, and then you still want to be saving any more, double back to your 401k, 403b, SEP, simple, whatever plan you have. Go ahead and max that bad boy out too because that's tax-deferred growth. Or possibly, if you have a good plan, you might even have some Roth options in there. If you've gotten all your employer match, you've maxed out your Roth IRA, you've maxed out your employer plan, there's nothing wrong with setting up just a taxable brokerage account. And we like to put it on autopilot, set up a dollar cost average plan, and start buying into a low cost, solid, you know, maybe it's a, a Vanguard total stock market fund or an S&P 500 fund. Target retirement target fund. Target retirement fund. Mm-hmm. Buy into some good low cost fund every month, set it on autopilot, and you're going to be amazed at how quickly those assets build up. It's one of those things I want to give some people because we've run into this recently. This is kind of a new thing in the last three or four years, Bo. A lot of you now have Roth options on your retirement plans, and you're trying to figure out because you don't have a relationship with a financial advisor. You're trying to figure out, hey, you know, I need to, I've got a great 401k, 403b. Um, I need to go set up a Roth IRA. Where do I do it? And one of the things we've been asking people is, well, do you max out your 401? Do you max out your Roth? Or will you be able to? And if they say no, or I say, can you max out your 401k? And they say no because of income. I'm always like, well, if it's a choice between going to a high expense Roth IRA and maybe you have a 401, because a lot of people work for big companies that have a 401k with Vanguard, Fidelity, or Schwab, I sometimes give them the guidance. Maybe you ought to load up that Roth right. 401k or 403b. Um, just to get the really the access to the low cost investment because your your retirement plan is buying in bulk. It's like going to Sam's Club and getting much better pricing, institutional pricing than you're probably getting from the retail right. side. So that's something to take advantage of. And people then say the question at 401k meetings is always, well, what, what should I do Roth or traditional money in these 401ks and these 403bs? And I, I you know. I'm so tired of people skirting the answer because there, it is true. It's not a definitive thing that anybody can give you an answer on, but I'm willing to go out on a limb and tell you a little bit just because I'm going to give you, put my, my swami hat on and tell you where I think <laughs> tax policy, probably just because of the changing demographics of the country is that I do think tax rates will likely consider going up even more. I mean, it's kind of depressing a little bit to me doing show prep because I always tell people if you make below 20, the 25% income tax rate, you can consider still doing the Roth in your employment, in your employer plan. It's now 28%. That 25% really isn't there anymore. It's now 28%. So, um, it still kind of holds true. And, and our thought on that is, is that once you go over the 25 to 28% bracket, you might be able to control your your taxes in retirement because you're not going to have wages anymore. And if you have three pots of money, you have tax-free money from your Roth accounts, you have tax-deferred money from your IRAs and 401ks, and then you have after-tax money from just your joint or individual investment account, you can kind of choose and pick and, and choose where you want to pull that money out so you can kind of control your tax picture on how that income flows out. And, that, and you're going to probably be in a much lower tax bracket. So it makes sense... If you're getting those high tax brackets, go ahead and take the tax deduction now because you're hopeful that you can control your income in the future. But if you're below that 25% bracket or in that 25 to 28% bracket, you still might want to do the Roth because the tax-free growth is incredible. And the estate planning opportunities, because they don't have the minimum re- required distribution, is just a whole nother thing that we can't get into here. We could do a whole show on that, but it's still worth looking at. And it's not an all or nothing option. You can actually split it up. So maybe you're in one of those income levels where the tax-free part makes some sense for you, but also the tax deduction makes some sense. You can split it up and do part traditional, part Roth if you're mad. You yeah, know, I, I've, I've told to people do. all the time, you know, do 6000 in the Roth part, do, you know, Eleven, twelve thousand in the traditional. That way, you're getting the best of both worlds. It doesn't is exactly great way to keep it on between the roads there, <laughs> Bo. Because um, 
running out of time here, I want to give you some other planning thoughts. And remember, this is what you get when you get a 30-ish financial plan is that we're having to do, throw this at you pretty quick. College savings. A lot of you are like, yeah, but what do I do about junior and, 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 you know, juniors, you know, college plan. You know, I'm worried about saving for college because college just keeps getting more and more expensive. Remember the key thing that I tell everybody. You know, all my podcast listeners for many years probably get tired of me hearing me say this, but you can go get a college loan. Student loans are pretty normal. They can give you tax deductions for it. There's no such thing as a retirement loan. That retirement loan is, <laughs> hey, junior, I'm moving in your basement. <laughs> and as I've told you, junior, I'm moving in the basement is good when they want you to move in the basement because they want to have that extended family and the great thing that comes from that. It's different when you're broke and you have to go move in their basement. That's right. I mean, it is completely different. So let, let's make it a positive thing. And let's make sure that we understand that college savings comes after you've done all those other steps and built the, you know, have yourself on an autopilot towards financial independence. Now, once you do that, I like the 529 plans. You know, there's, there's two ways to save for college and education. There's the Coverdell accounts, which can be used K through 12 for private school. Um, and then you have your 529 plans, which are specifically for college. And both of these plans will allow you to save and invest money. And if you use them for education, it's tax-free on their earnings. So it's something to look at. We've done shows. If you want to go check it out, there's some really good 529 plans. Morningstar rates them. Consumer Reports has rated them. We've done shows on all those. If you want to go check them out on the Money Guy website, money-guy.com. The other thing, set Bowen, this is an echo of something you said in last week's show. Set short and long-term goals. Yep, absolutely. Man, I think that there, you cannot understate the importance of how you've got to do goal planning. And you got to write them down. Um, it, it's one of those things where you know, I have told you we have a whiteboard here in the office of our goals and kind of and people we're trying to keep in contact with. It's the same way with your goals. Put them on the fridge, you know, and, and I think that that will help you lock in something in your brain that says, let's keep our eye on the ball and make this happen. Um, I know, I, you know, I've set things. I do it all the time. Just to give you a few examples because I think people relate if you give examples. Uh, when I started the company, I wanted to, um, uh, it's ridiculous, but there was a piece, a watch, an expensive watch I wanted. I told myself I was not going to buy it unless I put a goal that I was going to buy it for myself if I hit a certain income goal. Well, I hit that income goal. I wasn't going to buy it. My wife says, oh, yes, you are, because you set that goal. We're going to do it. So I did that. And it's it's fulfilling to set goals and then see them fulfilled. Um, I'd always, when I was younger, I said I wanted to make six figures by the time I was 30. Um, it's it's interesting when you set those goals and then, you know, it, it, I didn't make it, by the way. It was it was 31 when, when that happens. But it's still, it's worthwhile because you can recalibrate and figure out what happened. But when you start a company, sometimes you slow things down a little bit. Hence the risk of being an entrepreneur. <laughs> but um, net worth statement. Bo, we picked on you about this one last week too. I mean, two weeks ago. It's because your wife has zero value to that net worth statement right now, just like my wife has zero value. But we talked about this in our meeting this week when we had the lunch, is that if something should ever happen to you, because you're the financial person in the household right. just like I am, that thing will be priceless. Mm-hmm. It's nice for multiple purposes. It's going to give your spouse and significant other some type of way to go take an inventory of what you have and what you guys have as a couple working for you. Um, and, and, you know, and I always put life insurance, disability policies on there just in case there is any emergencies, login credentials. These things are, are great data sources for your significant other. The other thing they're great for, goal planning, the previous goal. Bo, I see you have something you want to share, too. I, I was just going to say, even if you are, uh, maybe your kids are adult and grown and out of the house, or maybe you're a single parent, um, you know, it's still not a bad idea to have a net worth statement. So if something does happen to you, it's nice and consolidated there for the children. You know, it's a great tool for spouses, but it's also a great tool for children so that when they come in, if something is to happen to you, it's not a burden on them trying to figure out where mom and dad's stuff is and how to get it all put together. Yeah, and as you're doing those wills for the kids and everything else, you're going to save yourself some legal fees if you have that stuff prepared as well. And let's all face it, we're all tightwads. We want to get those costs down. When they bill by the hour, the more organized you are, the more money you save. So, so be organized, and the net worth statement helps out with that. Um, two more, analytics do not drive all decisions. 
And what I mean by that, there's two that, that I get emails from time to time. People writing me say, Brian, I have read so many articles. Y'all are always talking about dollar cost averaging, even with lump sums. When people inherit money or, or sell big pieces of property and they come into lump sums, and you guys are always talking about dollar cost averaging. There is tons of analytical research. You're correct. It's just best, hey, when you get a big chunk of money, throw it to work. But here's the problem. I know how human behavior is. Human behavior is is that if you invest, say you get a million dollars, you throw it all in the market in September of 2008. Oh. How are you going to feel in December of 2008? How are you going to feel in March of 2009 when the, when the stock market Hits is 6,600? I mean, it's that you're going to feel so disgusted to the point that your behavior might drive you to just give up and just go to cash. That's a fail. That is an epic fail is what that is. So that's why I come up with the idea, and it doesn't tie into the analytics, but it does take into account the human behavior aspect of finance, is that, man, if I was managing my money, I'm going in there slowly. That way, because we did have a – what's funny, we picked up a client in September. Who, that, that's the perfect example mm-hmm. of him. He thinks we hung the moon, guys. <laughs> you know why? Because we're dollar-cost averaging every month, October 2008 – November 2008, December 2008, it looks brilliant. Oh, it it really does. Fantastic. And there, there's luck in that. That's, I mean, it's just we have a core philosophy and we stick to it. The other one I'm talking about is paying off debt. A lot of people, mortgage interest rates, they're so cheap. Mm-hmm. After tax, I mean, you're paying 1.5% to 2.5%. Why would you ever pay that off? I tell people, you're not truly retired until you're completely debt-free. I want to have my house paid for in the next 10 years. I mean, I do, and I'm 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 older. You may you called me old earlier, but I'm not really old. Um, I want to have I want to be completely debt free before I'm even fifty, and and that doesn't analytically play out. I mean, I could come up with all the analytics in the world on why I should never be debt free, but man, is it going to feel good to not owe a soul a thing? Yep, I'll pay a little bit of a premium. Just to know I don't owe anybody anything. So um, that's another one where analytics don't always drive. And believe me, we're big fans of analytics. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big numbers nerd. I mean, I got data, data, data. But I'm still going to sometimes take into account human behavior trumps the analytics from time to time. We're trying to ultimately get you to success. Mm-hmm. And if you have to round some corners to get to that success by by not going you know doing everything by a rigid level and analytics driving all decisions because you know that's not how the real world works you got a much better chance of being successful last one now this title i get hate email from this every time i mention this title but i think it's a a, a witty title so i say it ungrateful service providers um, I always get somebody write me like, how dare you call me ungrateful? I, I love all my clients. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there are industries set up that if you don't go shop them every few years, your prices go up. Mm-hmm. Insurance is one of those. If you want to build yourself two to $300 a month in savings, it's very easy. You know, if money gets tight, you need two or $300, go call you, go price out your property and casualty insurance on your house and your automobiles doesn't mean you have to change agents. You just might need to switch, have that broker switch you to another provider because those industries are set up where they give discounts to brand new clients and they take you for granted as an existing customer. So sometimes you have to go move your, move your, your business to another insurance company to get those better right or prices or at least threaten to move so that they'll match it. Utilities. How often do I have to play this natural gas game? It drives me crazy. I wish I could somehow I could call them and say, look, I negotiate everything. So if you could just check that box that I'm just, you're always going to renew me at the lowest rate, would save us a lot of trouble. But they don't do that. That's not an option. Every few months, I have to go shop natural gas. It's the same thing with you your- You know their caller ID, your gas comes like, oh, great. Here's that Preston guy again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with your, 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 you know, talking about cable, satellite, any of those, you know, type of services. You can go, that stuff's negotiable. I mean, how, how, how long have we been running? We have a, it's Mike Gasses. It's the guy we talked about. By the way, he's tight too. <laughs> he's Very successful, tight. but tight. And, um, it's funny to me is that XM radio or Sirius. <laughs> well, I mean, those rates that they, they want you to renew it. That's suggested. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's suggested. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of play in those rates. Just call them and tell them you want to cancel. They might try to 
stand up to, but they usually drop it down significantly. I called and canceled ours that actually last week. I don't even know. You weren't even here when I made no, the call. No, I didn't call even know this. Is... A, so we bought a brand new car. We got three months for free. I called and canceled ours. I think by the end of the phone call, I was getting, I could have gotten six months for a nickel. <laughs> I think they were going to charge me a nickel for six months. So all these things are suggested. I mean, supposedly America is not a bartering society. That's not true. But, you know, I get a little enjoyment out of stretching every dollar of mine five to ten cents, five to ten percent more than the average person does. I mean, there's just something enjoyable about getting a really good deal. Um, so I hope, I know we threw a lot at you and we went way over the 30-ish. It's the 50-ish minute financial but, um, plan. I think there was a lot of meat here and hopefully you guys have appreciated it. We want to tell you how much we appreciate doing the show, the feedback. Please comment on iTunes. You know, go check us out on Stitcher. Check us out on Twitter. I mean, this stuff, we want to be as connected to you. And there's no corporate back office. I think every one of our podcast listeners has met us in person. Like, wow, you guys are really this way in real life, too. I'm like, yep, this is the way we are. Um, So, you know, support us if you don't mind. Tell your friends and family. Put those comments out there because that's what keeps us relevant. Do you know how hard it is to run an operation like we do and still be relevant with these big corporations that have these big budgets and have agreements with some of these providers to get preferred real estate treatment? You guys are the reason we're still on the front pages and the featured pages of all these websites. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Just keep it up. Share the Money Guy Show to as many people as you can so we can continue to be successful and share this information. I'm your host, Brian Preston. Check us out, money-guy.com. I'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.